Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And if you're new to this podcast, welcome. We are glad that you chose to join Chris and myself for this podcast. Uh, If you're new, this is something we do every week for every session in Bible Studies for Life. Our goal is just to have a conversation where we give an overview of where the study is going, what it's about. And Chris and I may hit upon some high points of some things that are of interest to us. So Chris, why don't you introduce us to the study we're about to jump into? Lynn, we're going to do a study out of the Gospel of Luke uh, called It's All About Jesus. So um, unusual for us, uh, we just finished a study uh, called uh, Owning a Faith That Matters that folk that used text out of the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to do back-to-back quarters out of the Gospel of Luke. But we're going to look at Jesus and his life and ministry. Uh, I think it's going to be a good study for us as we lead up to uh, the celebration of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Well, joining Chris and I for this conversation is the writer of the study, of the personal study guide content, which is Michael Kelly. Michael, thank you for taking the time to podcast with us. My pleasure. Always great to see and hear you guys. So I couldn't help but think about you, Michael, and some of the experiences that we've had in the past. Um, When we were working directly together, you declared a week that would be taco week. (laughs) And every day we went to a different place to have tacos for lunch to see what we liked best. It's, uh, uh, yeah, man, that was a glorious, glorious week. Uh, I don't think I mean, I don't think, I know we'll get into it in a minute, but I know in Luke chapter four, Jesus talked about that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'd like to think that that was one of the ways that we lived out that prophecy, <laughs> that living in the year of the Lord's favor was tacos every day of the week. It was a good week. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. The Bible Studies for Life podcast, it's all about tacos. So let's uh, get into our study of in, in the Gospel of Luke, looking at this fact that it's all about Jesus. But I want us to begin. Our first session is about why Jesus came in to begin with. Uh, we're going to look at the mission of Jesus and why he came. To do this, we are going to be into Luke chapter 3 uh, to, to begin. And uh, let me just begin here. Uh, because as we get into Luke chapter 3, we're going to see a lot of details, historical details, that Luke is going to provide to set the stage for uh, talking about John the Baptist. But what this is one thing I love about Luke is he even says this at the very beginning of his gospel is he's writing to a gentleman named Theophilus. He says, I want to give an orderly account of the things that have transpired. And you certainly see this in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, as he begins to, he gives historical information about the context of Jesus's birth. Well, now we're going to skip ahead uh, past the birth and uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and Luke is doing the same thing. So I want to begin in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to see how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' mission. Luke wrote, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eteria and Trechonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. 
And he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. It's obvious. Luke says, I'm not making this stuff up. You can go to look in the history because here is the time and here is the place. Here's the people that were in charge. And all this is setting the stage for saying, look, and here comes this guy named John, who we know is John the Baptist, who's now going to proclaim uh, prepare the way for the mission of Jesus. I do want us to talk about one thing that's said here that about John. It says he he came to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I think some people sometimes struggle with the wording of that. So is it the baptism that that brings my forgiveness? Can you guys unpack that for me? What what exactly do we mean in this phrase, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Man, that's a great it's a great question and a great issue uh, to look at in the entire New Testament, right? I mean, I, I think one of the things for folks to note, first of all, is that there are a few different kinds of baptism referenced in the New Testament. And a good way to understand them is in a historical timeline kind of sequence. So you have John doing baptisms, and then you even have a period of time when Jesus performs baptisms. There's a little little detail dripped into uh, the Gospels there where Jesus performed baptisms. And then, of course, you have the book of Acts when uh, there's a whole lot of baptisms that are happening. and Uh, depending on when those baptisms happen in relation to the death and the resurrection of Jesus and even the founding of the church, they have a little bit of a different kind of significance to them. So even though the mechanics of the baptism might be the same, so that is that, you know, a person goes out into the water and they go under the water and come out of the water and John does that and then Peter does that in the book of Acts. Somebody goes into the water and goes under the water and comes out. So the mechanics are the same, but the significance of the baptism is different. Like what it actually means, what it actually means is is different. That's one thing to keep in mind. The second thing to keep in mind is that in the New Testament, a lot of the things that we tend to Uh, think about in separate categories from one another and draw hard lines in between that many of the New Testament writers don't have that same understanding. Here's a a great example. Um, in, In one of our churches today, often a sequence of events will happen like this. Uh, There'll be an invitation that's given at church. Somebody walks down to the front of the aisle and says, I want to trust Christ and uh, for him to be my savior and the Lord of my life. The pastor prays with that person. Then there's a period of weeks or so when that person is counseled, and then a baptism is scheduled at some point in the future, and then that person is baptized. 
and and so there's it could be as sometimes it's as long as months uh, as as when it happens. And so we think about that. Okay, the person became a Christian when they uh, walked down the aisle and prayed, and then we counseled them to make try to make sure that their experience was valid and real. And then the baptism becomes the profession of faith of that experience. Now, that's all true. That it's all true. But in the New Testament, what we find is that that whole timeline of events is much more compressed. So when you come to a passage like Acts chapter 2, where here's Peter, and he's preaching, and the Bible says that the the people that heard the message were cut to the heart, and they said, well, what do we do about this? And Peter says, you need to get baptized. (laughs) You need to get baptized. So it's a matter of moments in between preaching, conviction, faith, baptism, profession, church. Like it's all, it's all crunched. It's all crunched together. Keeping those things in mind, I think is very helpful in, in trying to uh, understand how, you know, understand the place of baptism uh, in the, in the New Testament. There are, there are churches that have uh, a different view of baptism uh, than what we have as, as uh, Baptists who believe that baptism because of what you just just described, Michael, because of what happened in the book of Acts, that baptism is a necessary component in uh, becoming a Christian, that it's, it is um, essential for that. And so uh, they, there are churches that baptize people as soon as they make that decision um, in, in the world that we live in today. Hundred uh, percent. There are now. In fairness, it does seem like in the New Testament that the idea that someone could be a Christian and not be baptized is a pretty foreign idea to the New Testament. So, so the New Testament, I think, would would pretty wholesale say, "Look, if you're a Christian, then you need to get baptized." Like that is the prescribed profession of faith. Uh, in the New Testament. But I also think it's pretty clear in the New Testament that all the New Testament authors, if somebody were to ask them the question, which nobody did, but if somebody were to ask them the question, does the mechanical action of going into the water actually save you? Does that ritual have salvation power in and of itself? Then they would say, well, well, no, God saves you. By grace through faith. Yeah, that's right. Trust in Christ is what saves you. Um, so, uh, so in fairness to those to those uh, traditions, I mean, there is that. But it is also important for us to recognize, man, it's not we're we're not saved by some mechanical action that we we do. We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith in Christ, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And what we see with John the Baptist is his doing these baptisms. As it says there, he is preparing the way. Uh, for the people's hearts for Jesus. And uh, that's what his mission is. John's mission is to prepare the way. Now, keep in mind, our focus in this session is not on the mission of John the Baptist. We're talking about the mission of Jesus. But John's mission is totally wrapped up in the mission of Jesus. And Michael, you you pull this out and in, in what you wrote in the personal study guide, talking about uh, our mission. Even as today for us, our uh, individual missions, the callings we have on our life, our mission is to be understood in the light of Jesus's mission. Yeah, 
and I do think that's an important thing. I mean, we, we sort of are living in a day and time of uh, self-actualization at any cost and at any length. So uh, whatever I need to do to myself or for myself in order for me to feel as though uh, I, I'm being actualized as a, as a person and reaching the height of my potential, it is important for us to, to recognize and to learn from the example of John that the, the place in the moments where we find true significance are really in uh, death to ourselves and finding our self-definition and self-actualization inside of the mission of Jesus. So if we have a firm understanding, which is what we're trying to do in this session, if we have an understanding of what the mission of Jesus is, then what that means for us is, man, we we've suddenly have uh, a very firm set of guardrails uh, in, in, uh, that provide the lens through which we see what the Lord is calling us to in our own personal lives. Because whatever our mission is, is, a, is, is in line with what the mission of Jesus is. We don't have the same mission that Jesus does because we're not one of us is going to die for the sins of mankind. But we do draft behind him in his, in his mission, trying to make the most of his mission. And we joyfully give our lives and sacrifice uh, our own personal aspirations and desires uh, in favor of, of what makes Jesus, uh, what makes Jesus look as big as he is. I mean, uh, maybe a, a helpful way to think about it. You, you think about John's entire life. One image to me that sums up John's entire life is John really functioned as just a gigantic arrow. That's all that he was. That's all that he saw himself as is all I'm doing here is pointing to Jesus from what I eat, the way that I conduct my life, the clothes that I wear, all of this, all of this kind of stuff. Everything is really just an arrow shaped uh, in pointing to uh, what this over the book of John uh, to point people to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we have some of those same responsibilities. I, th I think the practical dynamic for us is to consider um, in, in our group time uh, to lead our group members to think about the people who influenced them, who pointed them to Jesus. And to understand that our, our purpose to align our lives with the life of Jesus and, and John's example is that we have a responsibility to do what John did and to point people to Jesus. And so I think there's some healthy discussion and conversation that can happen in our groups about how we do that. Yeah. And even, uh, Chris, that's looking forward. I do think that's helpful. I think it's also helpful to look backwards. Like sometimes it's helpful just to ask people, who, like, who were the people in your life that played a significant role in pointing you to Jesus? And just help people to remember. It, it helps us see we're all just links in this ongoing chain throughout history, right? The reason why, the reason why the three of us are sitting here is because somebody at some point cared enough to tell us about Jesus. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. And, and, it's a very simplistic way to look at it, but that's the reason why any of us are here is because somebody at some point cared enough to point us to Jesus. And we had the privilege of doing that for somebody else. Now, as we've seen here, 
John the Baptist, his mission was all wrapped up in Jesus's mission. And uh, we're going to move now. I want us to see that this wasn't just some mission that was made up in that moment or that year, but we're going to look at something Isaiah said, a prophecy that showed the purpose of Jesus's mission. Now, after we've been introduced to John the Baptist, as you continue reading in Luke, uh, Jesus comes to John the Baptist for baptism. Jesus goes to the wilderness where he he's preparing himself and for his ministry, that time of praying for 40 days, fasting. He faces that temptation. Luke then pauses for a moment, gives us a genealogy of Jesus with all this. But then we come to Luke 4, verse 14. And we see Jesus now coming back in, and this is where he is going to read this prophecy about himself. Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Michael, I want to I want to toss this at you. This question: We see that you see the picture here. Jesus comes back to his hometown. He walks into the synagogue, as hey, Jesus, would you read this for us? Can you help us understand a little bit, maybe some of the elements of the synagogue? Yeah, yeah. Because I tell you what, I think catches my attention is Jesus isn't the the preacher. He's not the in house rabbi. Yeah. But he shows up and they say, hey, why don't you say something? Yep. Uh, I So, yes, I think it does help to have a, at least a cursory understanding of what's happening there, which is what which is what I have. Um, but uh, uh, the it, first of all, it's important to understand that, uh, you know, where Jesus is going, the synagogue, it really is the absolute center of public life. Like it's the meeting place. It's. The hangout spot. I mean, it is where it is where everybody goes. It's where everybody goes. Um, the second thing is is that I, just like it is in many of our worship services today, there's a general flow to the service that's that's going to happen, and uh, there's a few different elements to that. One of them is that there was always a prescribed reading from the Torah. Uh, the Torah uh, are is what we know is the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and that reading would be prescribed in that it would be set. Uh, so the, the reader wouldn't get to choose what it is. It's, it's already laid out for them. It's, this, is, this is what it is. You step up and you read this portion of the Torah, and it would change from week to week. But, but they would know what it was. But then there was a second reading. Uh, and the second reading was a little bit more free. And uh, so the person who was asked to do the second reading had some leniency in what that person wanted that second reading to be. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had he had gained a following. There were rumors circulating about him, and he was coming back to his hometown. And so from that lens, it makes all the sense of the world that uh, the the leaders of the synagogue would say, "Well, Jesus is in town. People are going to be here. He needs to. He needs. He. We know that he's a rabbi. He's a teacher." 
we, we, he should do the second reading. But it also heightens the sense of expectation that we find in Luke chapter four, because if Jesus is stepping up and he's going to do that second reading, which means he gets to choose what it is that he's going to read, then surely there's this sense inside of the people of, man, this is our hometown boy who has gone out and making a name for himself. And he's this awesome teacher. I can't wait. Of, of all the passages that he could choose, what is he going to choose to read? And uh, then, of course, we, we get into what he did chose, where he chooses a, a passage that is messianic in nature. And the people would have recognized that it was messianic in nature. Uh, in other words, you can, uh, man, you can almost sense the excitement when Jesus starts going through this messianic passage that people are elbowing each other in the synagogue saying, I told you so. We thought he might be. I told you so. I, I really think it's true. This He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one that's come. And this is such a rich passage from Isaiah that he chose. It's just it, it the, the declaration of the year of the Lord's favor, freedom. Uh, release, recovery, those words that we gravitate to that, that draw us to having wholeness, the very passage Jesus chose. I, I think it would be an interesting thing for us to talk about in our groups is to talk about, look at that prophecy and which which one of those statements that, that the release, the recovery, this being set free, what are all those what really resonates with you in this moment in your life? Because I dare say, even in that 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 setting there in the in the synagogue, there were so many of the people that would react to different parts of that. It just caught their hearts to what he said. Now it is amazing what he has just read. As you said, Michael, this kind of wow. He chose that prophecy that portion of Isaiah to read, but now he's really going to get their attention with the next thing he does in verse 20. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tenant, and sat down. I could just see the tension in this, and it says, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. I like your description, Michael, of this uh, being a drop the mic moment. <laughs> Boom. There it is. That's right. Well, because what he's doing, guys, I mean, we, we know it. What he's doing is saying, hey, this, this passage has been around for hundreds of years. You've all read it. You all know it. You all recognize what this is saying. It's talking about the chosen one of the Lord when all these things are going to happen. And what I'm telling you right now is that today you don't have to wait anymore it is being fulfilled in your in your presence now that makes what happens next in Luke chapter 4 all the more astounding to me because you would think i mean these people have just heard Jesus essentially say i'm the messiah, i'm the messiah i'm the chosen one of god and yet, just a few verses later, they're driving him outside of town, trying to kill him, throw him off a throw him off a mountain. <laughs> just crazy. The, the the emotional turn in Luke chapter four is, I mean, it'll give you whiplash. 
about how quickly that crowd, I mean, they're whipped up into a positive frenzy and then immediately it turns to, to a sense of mob violence uh, on Jesus. It's, it's crazy. But Michael, let's address that. Uh, and I think you do a phenomenal job with it in what you wrote, uh, why they turn, because you make a reference to, well, Jesus is the expected Messiah, but you also say Jesus is the unexpected Messiah. So Jesus goes on after he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. He goes on to elaborate and he brings out some Old Testament references about how, even though in the Old Testament that the, the Lord could have done this work or that work among his people, Israel, he chose instead to work among the Gentiles. And what it does to the people is... Uh, it, it emotionally turns them because they at this point are very convinced about the kind of Messiah that they need. And it's a Messiah that is 100% for the Jewish nation that feels about the Gentile people, exactly how they feel about the Gentile peoples. The one that's going to be a political revolutionary that's going to overthrow the, uh, the rule of Rome and establish Israel as prominence. And so in a matter of moments, Jesus not only says, I'm the Messiah, but he also says, uh, here's the thing. You have dramatically misunderstood what kind of Messiah the Lord is going to send. And, and it so incensed them that they, could be, that they could be wrong about the kind of Messiah that was coming that they, they went from hoisting him on their shoulders, you know, this is, this is our boy, this is our guy, to try to throw him off the, the top of a mountain. It's, it's amazing how quickly it, it, uh, it turned. So there are people even today who say and claim uh, Jesus was a great teacher, obviously he did great things, historical figure. But there, were, there are those who will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the Messiah. And verses like this are so important for us to understand because, yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, he really did. Uh, he certainly did. Jesus was very clear about what his mission was. He was very clear about what it, about what it was. Um, Chris, I think uh, in a similar vein, we have, all of us do, all of us do to one extent or the other. We all have this terrible tendency to try and co-opt Jesus for our own pet cause or desire. So we, we have this thing in our lives, whatever it is that we are particularly attached to or emotionally involved with. And we just want to do whatever we can to get Jesus on our side on behalf of whatever that of whatever that thing is it's a good reminder to us that when we come to the when we come to the bible we have to come to the bible with an uh, uh with an a humble attitude of joyful submission and not presumption uh and certainly not come to the bible looking for the bible to tell us what we want to hear about our own lives or the world or whatever it or whatever it is. We we come to the Bible 
recognizing its authority over our lives. We align ourselves to the Bible rather than demanding that Jesus and the Bible align himself or itself to our own agendas. Thank you, Michael. Because as we've seen with this study, as we, uh, launching into this, it's all about Jesus. It's his mission. And that mission is clear that Jesus came to deliver the good news of salvation for all people. Michael, Chris, thank you for a good conversation today. Michael, you'll be back with us again in a few weeks. We're looking forward to talking to, to you some more as we head into uh, the passion and uh, uh, the death of Jesus and discussing that. That'll be great. Thanks, guys. And we're glad that all of you joined us for this podcast. We always appreciate y'all who listen and love those who drop us a note, whether it's via email, uh, through extra online. Uh, We love hearing from you and it's encouraging to know how you're using these podcasts uh, for your own preparation. And we hope you guys have a great Bible study this week.